Hello and welcome to the Hudson Mohawk Magazine, broadcasting from the Sanctuary for Independent Media in Troy, New York, on the unceded homelands of the Mohican people known today as the Stockbridge Munsee community. I'm Sina Bazilahickey. And I'm Kaelin McPherson. Today on the Hudson Mohawk Magazine, first, Marshall Hildreth interviews the Kiki Lounge on information and classes around voguing. Then, Jamaica Miles makes the link between climate justice and over-policing. After that, Brad Monkell brings in stand-up comedian Mikkel Gregg into the studio. And finally, Tom Francis brings us another episode of Talking with Poets. But first, here are the headlines. Local defense uh, attorney Lee Kilden announced he is launching a campaign to be Albany County District Attorney running against David Soares in the Democratic primary. The city of Albany will pay a $4.3 million settlement to the estate of LeVar R. Jones, who was wrongly convicted of a 1997 homicide. The conviction was based in part on harassment interviewing techniques by police by two police officers that led to the city to invest hundreds of thousands of dollars in technology and training to help prevent similar in incidents in the future. By a nine to one vote, the state's independent redistricting commission has approved sending a slightly redrawn set of maps of congressional districts to the state legislature for their final adoption. However, Hakeem Jeffries, the ranking Democrat in the House, has raised objection to the maps, which with many questions as what the legislature will do with them. This could lead to another round of lawsuits. While the deadline is gathering petition, uh, signatures required for being on the ballot is rapidly approaching. The Federal Department of Agriculture reports that the half of New York's dairy farmers from a decade ago no longer exists as a rising population cost and national market change have shattered thousands of small and mid-sized dairies. L labor and production costs have increased nearly 50% during the five-year period beginning in 2017. An Albany startup company is working to develop charging stations for renting electric bicycles. The Times Union reports that the Latham fuel cell and green hydrogen manufacturer Plug Power plans to start laying off workers in an effort to reduce its expenses by $75 million a year as it tries to conserve each amid, uh, conserve cash amid mounting losses. Semiconductor manufacturer Global Foundries will receive billions in state and federal funding over the next 10 years to expand its operations in Malta. A second manufacturing facility will be built in Malta with an estimated 1,500 permanent jobs and a $9,000 and, and $9, construction jobs over the next decade. Global Foundries, which is in its 15th year of operation, currently employs employs 2,500 people in the capital region. And our last headline comes from Public News Service. 
New York disability rights advocates are working to break barriers in numerous legislative areas, including those in transportation, housing, and employment. Another area of focus is voting and accessible polling places. A Brennan Center for Justice report finds almost all of New York's polling places aren't disability accessible, leaving them unable to accommodate a quarter of the state's population. Dr. Sharon McLennan-Weir with the Center for Independence of the Disabled New York describes how this can be improved. We're looking at accessible ballots, especially electronic ballots for those that are blind, visually impaired, learning disabled. If they're able to submit an accessible ballot through absentee ballots, that would be helpful because maybe they're unable to get someone to get them to the polls. She adds the state election board should also train poll workers on using ballot marking devices. The Brennan Center's report finds in 42% of polling places surveyed, ballot marking devices weren't set up to ensure a disabled voter's privacy. Bills about training poll workers and enabling electronic absentee ballots are pending in the Assembly's Elections Committee. In education, McLennan-Weir says proper sexual education for people with disabilities is important. Certain disabilities might require a person to have help with daily life, but she notes this can leave a person in more vulnerable situations. Providing this kind of education could help reduce the amount of sexual assault people with disabilities face. So we want people with disabilities to be taught about their bodies, taught about inappropriate touching, taught about how to get good reproductive health care, how to understand hygiene, good health regarding the reproductive process. The U.S. Bureau of Justice Statistics finds sexual assaults of disabled people rose 27 percent between 2017 and 2019. Moreover, a 2023 survey notes 48% of women with disabilities have experienced sexual assault or harassment in the workplace. Edwin J.V. are reporting. Find our trust indicators at publicnewsservice.org. For those just tuning in, you're listening to the Hudson Mohawk Magazine, listener-supported radio that builds community in Troy and the surrounding capital region through broad grassroots participation. Our content is produced by volunteers. To learn how you contribute, go to mediasanctuary.org. Email us at hmm at mediasanctuary.org or call 518-272-2390. And first up, we start by looking back at a protest rally with Jamaica Miles, who made the link between uh, climate change and low-income communities and over-policing.
same jobs, those same jobs that allow us to have sustainable energy, green energy. It's not science fiction, it's science fact. But big corporations don't want to give up the money even though they could still make money if they switched. I mean, honestly, they just don't want to. It is no easy thing for me to stand here today at the South Station on Arch Street. And while I appreciate the opportunity to talk about the connection between climate justice and the call for an end to police brutality and the criminalization of our black and brown communities and an end to all of the harm that is done in the name of freedom and peace and justice, it wasn't that long ago that at this very police station, that police station tore down an encampment that was feeding homeless people. That ain't right. So as we continue this march, and we are chanting about climate justice and the global economy that we live in, let us not forget the local fight that happens every single day. Yes, we must stand in solidarity with what's happening across the globe. Because it is still the poorest countries that will be impacted first, that are impacted now. And they are black and brown. But they are also Hoosick Falls. They are poor white rural communities. And it is an opportunity for us to stand together to end the attack on working poor people. Yeah. That's what this is. This is an attack on working poor people. Yeah. Whether it's by the police department or by corporations or for profit health care. When we come together united and recognize our unity regardless of our differences, they are scared as hell. Jamaica Miles at a rally um, from, I believe it was a year ago, might have been two years ago, making that link between climate justice and over-policing. Ballroom culture and voguing has a significant history. Classes and information around this is being offered by the Kiki Lounge at Northworthy Resources and the Albany Damien Center. Marshall Hildreth reached out to the Kiki Lounge to learn more. 
Hi, this is Marshall Hildreth for Hudson Mohawk Magazine. I'm joined by Maureen Taveras, also known as Buttercup Vera Wang, and MJ Rodriguez, also known as Amunette Rockin. Welcome to Hudson Mohawk Magazine. Thank you for yeah, having thank you. us. No worries. I think first and foremost, I have to ask, what is the story behind your uh, alternate names? Uh, do you want to go first? Um, so the story behind my alternate name, because I'm a part of the House of Rakhine here in the Capital Region, um, the house mother, Egypt Rakhine, that's her name that she goes by in the ballroom scene. Um, when I heard her name and she wanted to be a, me to be a part of her house, I just was mm-hmm. like, okay, it's giving very like Egyptian vibe, the whole right, nine. Right. And then I'm all into like mythology and everything else. So I was just like, okay, Amunet, especially because of the categories that I walk, I tend to do like Butch Queen up and pumps. I tend mm-hmm. to do um, between up and drags, um, drags realness, the whole nine. So Amunet is a goddess that basically means mysterious one. I like so. the androgyny, the like the in between. So that's kind of why I chose that name. Um, for me, usually like in the New York City scene, like the names come from like something that you've done, like a moment that you've made or a parent naming you or something like that. I remember I was hanging out with the House of Versace um, for the AIDS walk in New York City, mm-hmm. um, and. We were all just like drinking afterward and like having a good time in somebody's apartment. I don't even remember whose apartment it was. Um, we were just like partying and having a good time afterward. They were just like, come on, vogue for us. Let me see something. And then they started pumping a beat. So then I started voguing and they were just like, ooh, she's soft. She's soft like butter. She I was love. like, ooh, butter, cream, butter, butter. And they kept saying butter, butter when they kept seeing me melt and um, mm. melting into a dip. And then they were just like, oh my God, I got it. Buttercup. And then they love. were just like, that's Buttercup right there. And then, the, like, it just clicked for me because I actually loved the Powerpuff Girls growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, and Buttercup was my favorite because I always liked, like, tomboy aesthetic and, like, aggressive women and, right. like, you know, things like that. So I was just like, I I felt it. It was just, like, a fit for me. And then I became Buttercup Versace. And then once I left the house, the name just stuck. So I was just like, Buttercup is my name now. That's so fun and beautiful. Like, I love how there's always a history behind names, especially in the scene. Um, Just to break down some of the language you mentioned, uh, I guess start off with like the different categories. You mentioned Butch Queen, um, some drag categories. If you could just like break that language down for our listeners. Okay, so basically ballroom is a space where people compete for prizes, usually cash prizes and a trophy. The categories would be what you would walk when you go to these uh, to these events. Um, basically, there can be anywhere from like five categories to six categories if it's like a mini ball to like 13 if it's like one of the big luxurious like awards balls. Um, mm-hmm. But the categories basically are different different categories that you would walk. So for me, I started out Butch Queen Vogue Femme. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never really walked any other category except for then once I transitioned, I went to Puerto Rico and everybody was like, she, she, ma'am, you know, and I was just like, oh, I didn't think I passed, you know, <laughs> right. but work. Um, so then when I came back, my fam, uh, my house was like, let's get you walking, like realness, let's get you walking realness. And then that's when I started walking the realness category, which basically is if you pass as a cis woman, mm-hmm. um, you would be able to walk and like not get clocked by anybody else. And that's what realness is. So first you go out, you get your tens, and then you battle against other people and they kind of just judge who was realer than the other person. Uh, th- there's like a lot of conversation about realness right now. Um, mm-hmm. But then other categories are like, Bush Queen Vogue Femme or Femme Queen uh, Vogue, which is like dancing and performing in that way. Um, 
And then there's also like runway, which is run, uh, pumping down the runway like a runway model. There is hand performance and arm control, which is um, like making sure that your lines are precise. Mm-hmm. Um, are there any other categories that you would like to? Um, I know there's like between up and drags. Usually that's like, I tell people, um, just think of someone being the first time up in drag. Mm. Um, it's very that. So it's not as polished compared to like drag's realness mm-hmm. where you'll see like if you go to Waterworks like Filipina, she's like her face is down like right. it's polished. Um, or even some of the queens on RuPaul's Drag Race, so they're very polished. So I think that there are segues, there are certain categories that segue into other, like the realness categories. Mm. Um, and it, it gets, it allows individuals to kind of feel it out, at least with like Butch Queen Up and Pumps. Like I did it at first, I was just like, okay, I'm like, this is, the, I'm like, I didn't know what to do. And they were like, no, just keep on walking. And then it's just like finding your stride and finding your confidence in that. And it's mm. just literally taking, like taking the moment and taking the, the constructive criticism right. from individuals like um, like at the Kiki Lounge where like Marine or even um, Egypt um, they're, they're, they're Juju we know them as Juju okay. outside of um, <laughs> the ballroom scene but um, he's also one of the facilitators as well so like they're always trying to instill where like they're giving us the principle and the basics of what it is for that category mm-hmm. but um, how I learned was that once I got the foundation the basic the um, the basics down i was able to go ahead and add my flair because mm. usually you want to be able to still maintain the foundation but put your stink on it a little bit and then <laughs> <Right>. just you know <laughs> do it so like at least that's kind of how i was able to do it i did butch weed up in pumps um i used to do best dress as well and then i started getting into um like butch queen up and drags and then drags realness because for me like i like drag the illusion and get sleeping in and, uh, and out of certain things and the mm-hmm. androgyny that's kind of like I'm, i like the gender you know bending so yeah right <laughs> so really like voguing and ballroom just it sounds like a skill in and of mm-hmm. itself and I imagine like the New York City scene differs from the capital region scene. Could you like elaborate on that? And uh, what brought like Kiki Lounge to the capital region? So that's a great question, actually. Um, I've been living here for about two years now, I think. Um, and when I first got up here, mm-hmm. I was like, okay, you guys have balls like once a year. That's not as frequent as I'm used to. Where like in the city, we'd have one like three times a week. Or oh, like, wow. Yeah, like it's yeah. it's a lot. It's frequent. Um, so it's like a lot of opportunities to go out there and access these spaces that make you feel confident and let mm-hmm. you express yourself and your talent. Um, out here, we don't have that as much. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I realized like the reason why is because in New York City, we have kiki lounges. Like I used to run back in the city. Mm-hmm. Um, we also have Vogue classes and Vogue uh, teachers out there that, you know, started out in New York City. That's where ballroom started. Mm-hmm. So they... Like their form of Vogue seems to be more, more authentic to me. Mm. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's like there's nowhere for people to go and access these spaces to hang to just to hang out and get to know each other and mm-hmm. grow the community. There's no uh, Vogue, no Kiki lounges inside of high schools, which is another thing that New York City does. Oh really? I never yeah, they knew do that. like Kiki lounges or host um, house practices inside Mm -hmm. of high schools that way when kids walk by and they're like oh my god what is that they look in and they're like oh i want to you know i want to try i just wanted that space here you know i wanted a space that people youth uh other individuals whatever age would be able to come down and have fun Mm -hmm. uh intermingle with each other grow the scene build community build houses because i think there's only about like four actual houses up here up here yeah. and then when i mm-hmm. ask folks also like okay are the houses like kiki scene or main scene they can't tell me the difference 
Speaking so, of, yeah. uh, what is the difference? Um, okay, so the main scene, ballroom scene, that mm-hmm. was started back in the 19, I might butcher this, like 70s, 1960s? Yeah, 1960s. Um, by 1960s. Crystal mm-hmm. LaBeja when she was mm-hmm. obviously, you know, miffed about always losing uh, the categories to whiter women mm-hmm. um, who did, she did not believe were pr- as pretty as her <laughs> or wore the same right. delicate gowns as her. Um, so she made her own, uh, her and the other black and brown queens made their own uh pageants and that became ballroom around 1990s late 1990s early 2000s um there was obviously always like 13 year olds 14 year olds sneaking into clubs Mm -hmm. and like hanging out with the ballroom girls because most of these kids were homeless anyways like living on the piers um so once people started realizing like okay maybe it's not the best thing for these children to be drinking with us every night getting into harsh drugs at such an uh early age Mm -hmm. and all these other things um that they would be exposed to in nightlife um so they decided to create something i think it was aisha prodigy who used to work at hmi she's a cisgender woman Mm -hmm. um and a couple of other um kiki uh now kiki scene leaders but back then they were just ballroom um members um and they came together and created a space through um, orgs like HMI, um, Hedrick Martin Institute. Um, they created the Kiki Lounge there. And then mm. that's where it kind of started, like creating Kiki Lounges, creating spaces for the young people to go and express themselves and not have to be exposed to all of these adult world mm. things. Um, and so that would be like 13-year-old to about 25-year-old, I would say. Okay. Um, and then you would kind of like... in in a sense, graduate into the main scene after that. Um, somewhere along the line, that kind of changed, <laughs> and people just kept staying in the kiki scene because they mm. realized, okay, the main scene is a lot more intense. Mm. There, it has to be a lot more polished. Um, yeah, there's just a, it's like everything that you've been doing in the kiki scene has to be elevated to like 100%. Mm. So um, a lot of people get scared away or they feel like, you know, I already know that I'm worth a lot. I already know that I'm winning and that I am established and I have a name mm-hmm. and a title. So why do I have to go to the main scene mm-hmm. and like start all over, start from the bottom, basically? Mm. Um, so some people just stay in the kiki scene. And now it's to the point where there's people who are like 30, 40 years old being leaders in the kiki scene and they Work. provide kind of like the guidance for the younger people mm-hmm. to come in and learn and become leaders in their own right. And we so, have folks who like start out, like I said, like as young as 13, 12. And oh yeah, they've been involved in for years. So it sounds like a super accessible, like easy way to get in involved in like queer spaces and like queer community um and having like stemmed from like black and brown folks like Mm -hmm. making these spaces Mm -hmm. uh when people start to get involved in like the kiki lounge or like a ballroom scene uh what things do you wish to see people be mindful of when first entering i don't know if this is like pc to say um but i grew up in the bronx and a lot of the girls in new york city still use this when talking about ballroom because some people come into ballroom and they think oh this is going to be a safe space Mm. And I'm like, this is a com- a competitive space. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. you're going to yeah. get shaded. You're yeah. going to get people who think she didn't deserve to win over me and mm-hmm. will look at you differently. Mm-hmm. Or there'll be people who'll be like, you just got through because your girlfriends are on the panel or like all uh, these other things. And okay. part of that is true. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Part of it <laughs> yeah. is true. Um, but I guess like what I would like to say to people is what people say to me. Like, it's, it's Mook Hollywood. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's Hollywood for black and brown, queer and trans people. So it's mm. like there's still going to be the same BS that there is in like regular Hollywood where there's right. like politics and mm. having to like sometimes I've never done this because I don't feel the need to. And I came in with 
Laomi, who was like a very good guidance for me, like a good mother figure, um, mm-hmm. because she was the one that like kept me away from most of these folks who would rather like use, get close to people because of their name or what mm. they have access to and things of that nature. And I feel like that's just what, that's just what some spaces are, you know? So I would wish right. that people would be mindful of that and be like, you know, know who to trust. Yes know mm. when to protect your peace and when to engage in self-care and know when it's like you know girl maybe i'm sitting this ball out mm. or maybe i'm just mm-hmm. staying in tonight and not going out to kiki nights or whatever you know so mm. um at least from my experience what i've done um when i first started coming like 2016 um in our own voices was hosting a ball with the house of encore um who's one of the houses up here and I actually came in with the intention, um, my drag mother, um, Lola Galore, she um, is from the Virginia scene, and she's from like the House of Balenciaga, mm. and she's been in Chanel, she's been a 007. So one of the things that she told me um, is to kind of just sit there, observe, and take in the culture, mm. um, because then you're able to kind of see the nuances that happen, like what Maureen was talking about. You'll see the shade that comes in there, and you're like, oh, wait, hold on. Like, I just, you, you do it's it's very subtle and a lot of the time like a lot of the things in ballroom is very subtle even how individuals are conversing with each other Mm. they could there could legit be like animosity between them but the shade the reading that goes down and if you're not used to that you would it would go over your head so like one of the things that i did the first couple because i didn't start participating until like 2017 18 um up here um but so from 2016 i took like about a year or two to kind of like just take everything in so mm. it's what marine is talking about like the shade amongst the judges seeing that some people get offended really quicker you do have to have uh i will say making sure that you have a tough skin mm. so i would definitely echo the sentiment that marine was saying like kind of protecting your peace knowing mm. having that discernment to kind of understand that like okay is this person going to actually build me up and fill my cup or are Mm. they going to kind of like okay like throw it and toss it off the table and that's not someone that you kind of want around or just drink from your cup and then like just <laughs> Toss it away. Let's water each other here. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Just to like build on that as well. Like something that I do want to say is kind of like you mentioned RuPaul's Drag Race mm-hmm. earlier. You know, like when they do the little reading session. You know, right. like most of the reading is meant to be in good fun. Obviously, if there's somebody that you don't like get along with, obviously it might be a little bit more malicious. But most of it is supposed to be done in good yeah. fun, and it's supposed to be like a character building thing. You know, because it's like. Mm-hmm you're here getting read by your sisters like at least we know what you go through and we go through it too so you know it's not coming from a bad place mm-hmm. but then like it also builds up your character and your thick skin for when you go out into the world and have to feel, deal with people saying that to you who you know don't care for you mm-hmm. um and then another thing is that like like you said about like respecting like the culture that's another thing that i would want people to see is like respect the fact that you're coming into a culture that has been here before you for like you know years mm. For years. So it's like you're coming into this space and you might feel a certain type of way about these things, but like you also don't need to be in this space. Like this space was created for black and brown individuals. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it's bigger now. Like I said before to MJ, mm-hmm. I've told them, like, and to there's this um, particular person who comes to my class and they're a white gay man mm-hmm. and they keep telling me, like, oh, I feel like I'm like taking up space certain times and all these other things. And I'm like, Vogue is for everybody, ballroom is for everyone now. I mean, there's people in Russia who are using voguing as mm-hmm. like a resistance to the oppression that they're facing so it's like voguing and ballroom is international now 
Um, but there still is that key element of like this culture came from somewhere and if you're going to interact with it, mm -hmm. have respect for it. Absolutely. And make sure that you're not coming into the space trying to just change things because you're in this other space and you see that they are super affirming and politically correct and then you come into a politically incorrect space and mm -hmm. then try to morph it into something. It's not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. People have tried. <laughs> um, and it's just like nobody's forcing you to be here you know what I mean nobody's yeah. like, there's a lot of communities out there for you and that maybe right. this one might just not be the fit for you right yeah. I think that's key too is like with the advent of programming like RuPaul's Drag Race or Pose and this bleeding into the heteronormative mainstream people can make those assumptions that this space is ultimately going to be safe for me and me alone yeah. that's really good to know uh, especially with these classes like mm -hmm. Some people might not know what to expect. Yeah. And I think that's exciting and great, but it's also good to have that awareness. Well, that's the one thing about these classes is that, like, I always try to provide, like, even if one thing that I tell people is, like, you can still come and learn how to vote. That doesn't mean that you have to walk a ball. Because mm -hmm. I have had people in the city when I used to teach at the, at the LGBT center on 13th Street. Um, I used to have folks who would come there and would learn, and then I'd be like, when are you going to walk a ball? Like, come on, like, I'll take you out, you know, like, let's go, right. I'll make you walk a category. And they'll just be like, I just kind of like to vogue in my room. Like, I don't really yeah. like to do anything outside, and that's fair, too. Um, what I try to do is provide a safe, inclusive space. Mm. Um, maybe that might be setting people up with a bubble, but I also make sure that people know by letting them watch clips and teaching them about ballroom history mm. and even getting into like the messy little gossip and drama, you know, and be like, <laughs> yeah. you know, like this is what you can expect. Uh, and just real quick, is there anything that you didn't get to mention that you would like to, uh, any questions I didn't ask or anything you want to expand upon? Um, you know, just kind of like give, like try it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just try it. Like get out there, get out of your, I feel like we're not taught to like feel on our bodies and dance sensually and sexually mm -hmm. and, you know, like freely how Vogue kind of re um, requires you to. And I feel like getting into it can be a little bit awkward at first, but mm -hmm. if you just like let yourself go and be a part of it, and if you want, just like watch at first, you know, mm -hmm. just, just take it in and then try it. But yeah, I think that everybody should at least give themselves a chance to try it. Yeah, um, I will say like for me, because I used to be very not like I used to just be more of a wallflower. Mm -hmm. So at least my experience, what ballroom has done for me, has kind of instilled the confidence in me to be a little bit more vocal, a little bit more confident and a lot of my i call people like my little inner demons little voices that tell me i can't do it like it's right. helped me build to be louder than those voices mm. and understand that i do have power and ballroom has made me kind of seen that at least the kiki scene has made me seen that as mm. well at least up here that i do have power in who i am and what i say and how i identify how i dress the whole nine so i would definitely say if there are individuals who are trying to build that confidence mm -hmm. i would definitely say go to come into these spaces because um, we're not going to tear you down we actually want mm -hmm. to build you up and and instill or help be a part of that process to instill that confidence or get you to that level where you're like okay like this is my ultra ego right. so like <laughs> we're all about it <laughs> yeah no it sounds like a super fun super um, firming mm -hmm. space uh, and I look forward to hopefully like joining in and understanding like some of the folks that come in, mm. uh, what that brought them in. Mm. Uh, unfortunately, we do have to wrap up. Okay. Uh, yeah, but where can people find more about the Kiki Lounge and um, um, what else you folks are doing? Follow us on our social medias. Mine is Marine La Sirena, which is M A R I N E L A S I R E N A. 
Um, and I often post about my groups on there that I do. Um, as we said, we have the Capital Regions Kiki Lounge, which I co-facilitate with um, Egypt, Raken, also known as Juju. Um, and then I also have the Albany Damien Center. Um, that one, the Capital, Re Capital Regions uh, Kiki Lounge is hosted at Noteworthy Resource Center mm. um, from 6 to 8 p.m. And then the, the Kiki Lounge that I run on my own at the Albany Damien Center uh, runs 3 to 5 p.m. on Fridays. Yeah, awesome. Um, so you can also go on Noteworthy Resources um, website as well, nwralbany.org, and you'll click on the events. Um, we do facilitate the Kiki Lounge every second and fourth Wednesday of the month. Mm. So the next one will be on February 28th from 6 to 8. Um, and we'll have like some water bottles there the whole nine. Uh, we're trying to bring in different things in there as well to kind of help um, individuals out as well because there could be resources or mm. opportunities that individuals may not know about. So we're trying to at least empower our community um, and kind of limit like the isolationism and things of that nature that tends to happen within yeah. queer yeah. culture. And that's something that I'm really appreciative that like the orgs have been like really trying to support us and providing us with like tools and like kits and things like that for people so that's like really nice. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. yeah I thank you folks so much for joining me again Maureen Taveras and MJ Rodriguez. And this has been Marshall Hildreth for the Hudson Mohawk Mag. That was the Kiki Lounge. And to learn more about the Kiki Lounge, the email is best to reach them at capitalregionkikilounge at gmail.com, where you can also learn about those upcoming events that were mentioned. For those of you just tuning in, I'm Sina Bazilahiki. And I'm Kellen McPherson. You're listening to the Hudson Mohawk Magazine on the Hudson Mohawk Radio Network on WOOCLP 105.3 FM Troy, WOOGLP 92.7 FM Troy, WOOSLP 98.9 FM Schenectady, WOOALP 106.9 FM Albany, and streaming online at mediasanctuary.org. This program comes from the Sanctuary for Independent Media in Troy, New York. Now we welcome on jazz sanctuarian and stand-up comedian Brad Monkell into the studio. Hello, Brad. Hey, Kaylin. Thank you so much for having me, as always. How are you doing on this sunny day? Well, not sunny anymore, but it was. Pretty cloudy, but doing good otherwise besides the, the weather. How are you doing? I'm doing good, doing good. So who'd you bring with you this week? I brought in the very funny Michael Gregg to join me today, so glad to be uh, talking Hello, with him. Hello, Michael. Welcome to the show, Michael. Uh, thanks for having me. Um, if, uh, just before we get started here, uh, Mike's got some upcoming gigs, uh, February 24th at the Fairways of Half Moon, March 8th at the Foothill Civic Center in Oneonta, and March 9th, he has a, uh, a veterans fundraiser at the American Legion Hall in Lansingburg. Um, Mike, it's great to talk to you, man. I mean, I feel like we haven't really gotten to sit down and I've gotten to pick your brain a little bit, but, uh, you know, you're one of the most experienced comics in the area, gig a bunch of all throughout the year, and it's uh, it's good to have you here talking about it. Um, I, I guess I haven't really gotten to ask you before. How long have you been doing comedy? Uh, altogether, I've been doing it 16 years. 16 years? Okay. Yeah, but I took a little break. Yeah. I was, I was on the road actually trying to make a living at it in the 80s and uh, went broke. So then I, I took some time off and uh, then came back about 11, 12 years ago. Very cool. Um, well, uh what I guess I'm curious to ask, you know, uh, when you first start, when about like what year did you start? I started in March of 1986 in Houston. Uh, 
I was uh, working out of the comedy workshop down there, uh, the Comics Annex, they called it. Yeah, that was Comics Annex uh, with Janine Garofalo and, oh, awesome. and yeah. Bill Hicks. And wow. uh, they were they were working out of Houston. And the, the outlaws of comedy uh, were, were, were huge. And I was just doing the open mic stuff. Wow. Um, so... I, I guess a, a funny play to, to start with, uh, you know, talking about like early career stuff is, um, you know, do you have any stuff that you look back on from like when you first started as a comedian where you're like, what was I thinking with that routine or like, Oh, I, I do that now, but, but, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I started doing stand up when I was 23 years old. And, uh, so every joke was just about awkward sexual experiences and getting drunk and just making fun of people. Um, I was horribly dirty, uh, yeah. just just R-rated, pushing on every boundary I possibly could as far as being vulgar. And I didn't think that that would go well after I decided I wanted a more professional career. And it didn't occur to me until a dozen years ago that I could probably just rewrite everything clean. Yeah, I had to get rid of a lot of dirty material, a lot of dirty jokes, a lot of a lot of bad dirty jokes. <laughs> so, would you say now you mostly work clean or uh, cleaner? Well, I mean, cleaner, yeah, right. way cleaner. I would describe myself more as a PG thirteen, you know. Whereas I was, my cleanest joke was PG thirteen. I was just, uh, just, just silly jokes, just yeah. silly, silly, and yeah, pushing envelopes, pushing pushing boundaries and and uh, on the envelope. There you go. That's that's what I wanted to say. Was it like more, I guess, you know, people can get a little uppity about, you know, uh, darker humor now, but it's definitely more common to hear dark things in today's society. Like back then, was it easier to push certain buttons? Would people like freak out about certain things faster? I think, well, the outlaws of comedy were always doing jokes that were pushing, uh, you know, dark side. Uh, like I said, I was working with Bill Hicks. And Bill Hicks was close friends with uh, Sam Kinison, who also mm -hmm. started in the same club that I had started at. But Sam had already moved out to L.A. So, I mean, if you want to get an idea of what the the vibe of the comedy was, Sam Kinison definitely represented what Texas comedy was in the 80s. Okay. You know, yeah, yeah. He, he's screaming at people and and uh, uh, just, yeah, none of that stuff. All the jokes would be canceled now. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so when did you, I guess, first start working the comedy scene up here in upstate New York? Uh, that would have been around 2012, 2013. I, I started uh, thinking to myself that I'd like to get back into it. I've got kids who are in their 20s now, but back then they were just getting to the age where I didn't feel like I was abandoning my wife with small children, and I'd start doing the open mics. And um, uh, like I said, I had to rewrite everything. So it was it was kind of like starting from scratch. I, I had the experience of being on stage, but... I couldn't do jokes about getting lucky with a girl in the back seat of my car now. I, I, I mean, I, that just doesn't play when you get to a certain point. Uh, it's, I'm a different person. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I guess um, what I'm curious to hear in, in, your, in the new stretch of comedy in upstate New York is, you know, comedians are characters. So you see so many like, very over the top personas at open mics and, and at shows. So, what from ever your, do you mean? <laughs> in the in your years in the upstate New York comedy scene, do you have any particular like favorite 
characters you've witnessed at these open mics, whether they're short-lived or long-lived or any that you care to mention? Uh, I mean, characters come on both sides of the mic. So, I mean, the comics are, everybody, every guy, every person who's doing stand-up, you know, has their own vibe. And, and you know, you try to pick that that bandwidth that you're going to be. And if you can identify your bandwidth, uh, you know, that kind of comic and what your genre of comedy is, if you can identify a character, then then you're gold. But I don't just mean, like, character in the sense of, like, they have found their voice in comedy. I mean, I saw a guy go up uh, last week for his first time at an open mic, and he put on a luchador mask. That was his, that was part of his act. (laughs) Like, well, (laughs) I I mean, you know, uh, Ed Ed Smythe, uh, who is in the area now, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, he showed up one time, um, I think bringing in the new year wearing a sash and a diaper. Uh, so, you know, that's not common for Ed, but it was a nice look, and I've got photos to show that he did it, so I, I'm happy about that. Sounds sexy. Send me those photos. Yeah. And, uh, oh, yeah. Um, you know, let's see. I remember one time someone came in yelling gun at an open mic, and uh, so a lot of us scrambled, but the person who was running that open mic started yelling at the person who yelled gun and is like, no, you're not going to interrupt my open mic. So there was a, there was a confrontation where the person yelling gun uh, had to back down from a screaming redheaded woman. You know, so that was, that was an interesting... Fun. It was an interesting switch. Fun. Uh, I've done open mics where fights have broken out during the show and, you know, I remember just, you know, being on stage, just watching two guys just punching each other. So, you know, those those are both times in Syracuse, so... No. Oh, great. okay, yeah, Syracuse. That's Syracuse. I, I do open mics as many <laughs> as careful. I can. So I'll, yeah. I've done open mics in Buffalo, Syracuse, Rochester, here in the Capital Region. Um, I've done open mics downstate in the Hudson Valley and, you know, down around New York City. And, yeah, I used to do a bunch of open mics before COVID. I would go down to the city and grab some time down there, which is, again, a different vibe, different yeah. people. Yeah. I mean, is, I guess, is, do any of those areas in particular have the most, like, the biggest span of of characters you know what i mean like it gets the most out there the closer you get to new york city the more interesting the characters get and that's always that's been true when i was doing stand-up in the 80s and in the early 90s and 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 now just you know there's this there's just this i used to i used to do open mics when i was in the 80s i used to do open mics with kevin james and uh before kevin james became you know huge and, you know, I mean, you could see, when you look at what he is now and you look at what he was doing as an open mic, I mean, there's an evolution. You don't, no one starts off and has it all defined as far as, you know, what their voice is going to be. You, the voice comes yeah. over time. It's funny mentioning Kevin James. Actually, I had a bit I was working on. I'm curious to get your opinion on this because I saw recently on, uh, on country music television, CMT, they have the King of Queens on now. That wasn't like a country show like no. twenty years no, ago. No, but, right? but it's got that. It's got a family vibe, you know. Well, uh, it's but I feel like it's transitioned now. That's considered like the conservative end. I feel like if a show came out now called King of Queens, that would be like a spinoff of RuPaul's Drag Race, right? <laughs> all right, all right, bit over. All right, let's. There you go. Uh, we do got to wrap it up here. Uh, uh, I see what thank you did you there. So- <laughs> Thank you so much for joining, Mike. Um, once again, you can catch Mike at the Fairways of Half Moon on February 24th, March 8th at the Foothill Civic Center in Oneonta, and March 9th at the Vets Fundraiser at the American Legion Hall in Lansingburg. Uh, is there anywhere people should check you out online? Uh, like? MichaelGregg.com. 
M I K A E L. M I K A E L G R E G G. Yeah, two G's. Three Th- G's, actually, if you can. Well, ball. yes. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us, Mike. It's great to talk to you here. Thank you very much. And thanks for having us, Kalen. You're all welcome. And, and thanks, Sina. Brad Munkel and Michael Gregg, for talking with us today. Thank you for having both of us again. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. No, no, thank you. And today on Talking with Poets, Tom Francis welcomes Aaron Gar- Garday Kelly to the stage for a reading at the Linda WMC's Performing Arts Studio. Aaron Gerard Kennedy is a poet based in Lynn, Massachusetts. He's been writing poetry for 33 years. His work has been published in various publications such as Trailer Park Quarterly, Cacti Fur, October Hill Magazine, Courtship of Winds, Toasted Cheese, and Obsidian Three. Mr. Kelly's writings have been featured in various literary journals in the United States, Canada, and around the world. Aaron received his Bachelor's of Arts in English Creative Writing from Louisiana State University in Baton Rouge. On October 5th, 2023, he was one of the poets who shared their work at the Linda as part of a night of poetry and spoken word presented by the Hudson Valley Writers Guild, Hobo Camp Review, and Trailer Park Quarterly. That night, Kelly read a series of memoir poems grouped together under the title Eight-Track Tape Reminders, along with poems about Tyree Nichols, Bessie Coleman, and women who have caught his eye along the way, like a patrol officer in a homeless shelter and a woman in Starbucks. Eight-Track Tape Remembers. My grandparents were the first people in the neighborhood to own a color TV. It was a combination TV stereo console. And their grandmother read the 91st Psalm like mom did every night Uncle Cleo was in Vietnam. Aunt May's mushroom cloud afro was the sign of the times. My father always drove a Chevy truck and worked for a living. Schoolhouse rock and cartoons taught me a lot about the world. Sunday dinners ended with Morgan David wine and great grandmother Rosie was always standing close by with a cigarette and a can of beer in her hands. 120 pounds soaking wet, a step away from death. She lived to be 95. My grandparents always made me read to people. Mama took me to the library. Daddy gave me a typewriter. Sis gave me a journal one year for Christmas. And yet family and friends are the biggest dream killers around. Sunday nights were always Wild Kingdom and Wonderful World of Disney. Years later, I asked my niece Marissa, if she ever considered being a writer, she said, no. I don't blame her. Being a poet is like having a virus in your body, but I don't want a cure. If God didn't want me to write, he shouldn't have made me a poet. I'm in this win or lose. The patrol officer rides by as I'm standing in the soup line like I'm headed to purgatory. I treat homelessness like a short sentence. Just do it and get it over with. Sometimes she patrols without a bike. Even without her black shades, her steel blue eyes carry authority. I look at her as she rides by again and I smile at her. Not to mock her, but just to imagine if she was just a woman. Maybe just riding around in the park, showing off her legs. I imagine her wearing her hair down, maybe in a sundress and sandals, long legs, shiny with suntan oil, breast braless yet tasteful. 
She rides by me again as I wait in line to go to dinner. She looks at me through her dark shades. She'll never admit it, but she smiled. Blues for Tari, and Tari Nichols was this young man in Memphis who unfortunately was murdered by cops who happened to be black, and this is um, my tribute to him. Blues for Tari. Not all devils are white. Some have afros and wear cornrows and wear dashikis, jeans, three-piece suits, in Air Jordans, or wear blue jeans and throw up black power fists, or brag about their Tommy Hilfiger shirts, filling the air with a Calvin Klein fragrance mist. Some say, hey, brother, or power to the people, while they plot another brother's demise. Sometimes the devil's home is in a pair of black eyes. I wondered that Tyree look at those officers the way Jesus looked at Judas after he kissed them and sold them out. I wondered that Tyree look at those black cops the way Peter reacted when Jesus told him he would betray him. Betrayal is just a different form of death. Every brother ain't a brother. Black hands killed Malcolm X. Black hands killed Huey Newton. Black cops spilled the blood of blacks to prove to white cops that they belong. I have always tried to ignore the craps in a barrel reality have always tried not to let others' negativity get the best of me. I've always known cops were evil, regardless of their shade. I wanted that Tyree smile like St. Stephen did, using his last breath to forgive the black hands that didn't think he deserved to live. We're all brothers and sisters in the eyes of God, aren't we? Starbucks. There's so much to be said for routine, she told me as I was writing down book titles. She read two a month, loved memoirs of a geisha, the red tent, and the kite runner. She practiced Bikram yoga four days a week, and the devotion showed. Her stomach was as flat as my now cold cup of coffee. She was from California and a Christian. If I had met somewhere, I might have stayed and converted. I was careful about the book titles I suggest, but she threw some curse words into the conversation to put me at ease. I gave her my suggestions. She wore a black tank top molded against her chest. The word organic stretched across her breast. It could have read orgasmic. It suited her perfectly. A gold Jesus hung around her neck, her flat stomach showing again shamelessly, a tattoo on her right thigh. She filled her jeans well. She told me she didn't like to hang out with people who didn't like to live right. I admired her commitment as she walked away proudly in her red mules. And I think. Bessie Coleman. Every March, I always write poems about women and their accomplishments for National Women's Month. And so I came up with this. Bessie Coleman, first black woman to get an aviator's license. 
From the cotton fields, she saw the black birds flying, and she figured she could fly too. She was no cursed child. In books, she found her wings, and like Icarus, she found her warmth in the sun, though white men, even black men, told her no. But the spirit of Harriet Tubman said yes, and the adventurous Aquarian found her destiny. In Paris, they welcomed blacks with open arms. There, a black bird could fly free. And so, you got your license. You saw trees, but they were only home to black birds, not black bodies to hang from. Your wings gave birth to dreams. You were no cursed child. You were brave enough to defy gravity, like Icarus. You never feared fire. You only wanted the warmth of the flames. You would step on the wings of your biplane as you soared, only to touch God. You never feared the sun. Somewhere, you are still flying. You a black bird, and the skies are owned by no one. You are beyond Icarus, touching the face of destiny, a black bird, not a cursed child. The woman with the titanium leg waves at me from across the room. I don't really notice the prosthetic leg at all. It is long and sleek. A souvenir from Desert Storm, she jokes. She was a victor, not a victim. It reminds me of a, of a missile when she walks. She cuts a path like the Blade Runner. She told me she ran a marathon on her bullet leg, and I am dumbfounded. Though she laughs like a song when she admits sometimes she is clumsy when she's dancing. Thank you. For Hudson Mohawk Magazine, I'm Tom Francis. And Tom Francis brings us poetry highlights or highlights poets and the poetry scene in the Capital Region every week. And that's our yeah. show. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Hudson Mohawk Magazine. I'm Sina Bazilahiki. And I'm Kim McPherson. Our, our engineer for tonight is the lovely Sina Bazilahiki. We're going to thank all of our volunteers who made today's episode possible. This is a team effort. Marshall Hildreth, Brad Monkel, Tom Francis, and Mark Dunley. Thanks to you, our listeners, for making this all worthwhile.